Hello and welcome to the Disability Connection. My name is Walter Nunes and I'm your host. The Disability Connection is produced by the Disability Law Center, which is at 11 Beacon Street in Boston. The Disability Law Center is the protection and advocacy system for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and we provide legal assistance to folks with disabilities in a wide range of areas including housing, employment, special education, human rights issues and facilities and benefits. The DLC website is at www.dlc-mass.org and our telephone number is 617-723-8455 and toll free at 800-872-9992. Today I'm joined <coughs> by Senior Staff Attorney Linda Landry. Hi, Linda. Hi, Walter. How are you? Welcome to the program. And today we're going to talk about ABLE accounts, which is new to me, and I'm sure it will be new to a lot of you. So let's just get right into it. So, Linda, what does ABLE stand for? Well, ABLE stands for, um, well, these are tax savings accounts that were are permitted under a statute that was passed in December 2014 called the Stephen J. Beck Achieving a Better Life Experience. Um, these are investment accounts. So, you know, if you put money into them, it can grow over time. Of course, though, you have the usual risks of using an investment account that the stock market might not go up, it might go down instead. But um, the big news about ABLE accounts is that um, they don't account as assets for federal needs-based benefits, uh, which is a big deal. A lot of people with disabilities and others um, um, who receive needs-based benefits haven't been able to save money. So that's the idea with the ABLE account, that you can save money uh, for disability-related needs and it's not going to count um, in most circumstances against your uh, public benefits eligibility. And they're taxed advantage accounts, which means that when you withdraw the money, there's, the money isn't taxable if you use it for what's called a qualified um, disability expense. So these are very new, only about a year since they've been implemented. About 23 states now have implemented them, including Massachusetts, which just started its uh, own ABLE Act, uh, pro ABLE account program, I think in May or June. It's called Attainable. Well, that's quite a mouthful. Yes. So let's break it down just a little bit. Um, so this is a way that folks can save money. That's right. And they can save money in a way that will not negatively impact their SSI. Or Medicaid. Or That's Medicaid, right. which is extremely cool. important. And we're not going to get into the list, but there are certain expenses that are called qualified disability expenses that you can withdraw the money for. That's right. It's generally defined as an expense that is for the benefit of the beneficiary of the account um, and is a disability related expense, although it can also be for education or housing or transportation, uh, wellness, uh, even basic living expenses uh, as uh, the money can be withdrawn to use for that. But there has to be a disability nexus. Well, not necessarily. The individual has to have a disability and oh, the okay. money needs to benefit them. It can be for specific disability related needs, but the recognition is that uh, many people with significant disabilities uh, need some extra funds um, to live in the community. 
That's really, really interesting. So is there any downside to using the money for something that's not a disability expense? Um, yes. Um, if you don't use the money for a qualified disability expense, um, you could owe tax on that money. There could be a tax penalty. Remember, this is an IRS program, essentially. And eventually, uh, the IRS um, um, will review these, perhaps, and decide whether or not um, you've used the money properly. Um, because you get a tax advantage from this, and so you're not supposed to get the tax advantage if you don't spend the money properly. In mm -hmm. addition, if you're an SSI recipient and you withdraw money that you spend for other than a qualified disability expense, you could end up with an overpayment on your, uh, of your SSI benefits. And I'm sure uh, that there are some folks like myself who may not completely know what an overpayment is. And going off script for a minute, could you just describe what an overpayment is and the effect of it? Well, an overpayment for SSI is any time you get more money than you are really entitled to under the rules. So if you withdraw money from your ABLE account, you're an SSI recipient, and you spend the money on other than a qualified disability expense, that money will count as an asset and could put you over assets for SSI for that month or for however long you hold on to the money. Uh -huh. And if you accrue that overpayment, are there consequences for that? Well, you, you'll have to pay it back, and they'll I take see. it out of your SSI benefit. That's a consequence. <laughs> so um, let's say a person sets up this ABLE account, and they've got money in there. Um, is it easy to access the, that money? I mean, just like going to an ATM, or how do you access the money? Well, your, your money will be in an account, and if you are... Um, if you're capable of going in and withdrawing the money, you can go in and withdraw the money whenever you want to. Uh, if you withdraw the money for housing-related expenses, though, you have to spend it in, if you're an SSI recipient, you mm -hmm. have to spend it in the month you withdraw it. Otherwise, if you don't spend it in the month you withdraw it on your housing expense, then uh, and it sits in your account, it'll count as a resource, cause that SSI problem that we talked about. If you get benefits other than SSI, you don't have to worry about that. But it, it's, it's for the SSI problem. So if a person is receiving SSDI, that would not be an issue? No, it isn't an issue. And if an SSI recipient withdraws funds um, for a qualified disability expense other than a housing expense, they don't have to worry about spending it in the month they withdraw it either. But uh, you need to be able to identify, if you're an SSI recipient, uh, what this money is. So if you're going to withdraw a lump sum of money that's going to sit in a bank account for a while, you should put it in a separate bank account from your other money so you can prove to Social Security that this is your qualified disability expense money and it doesn't count as an asset. Mm -hmm. So it's oh, a little complicated. I think it is, and that's why we're glad that you're here to help us be able to think about this in a less complicated manner. So I think we've already discussed this. Um, taking the money out and not using it could pose uh, a risk for people who are on certain types of benefits. For SSI, right. And if they do take it out and for whatever reason they don't use it, they might want to keep it in a separate account. Definitely keep it in a separate account. And if it's, remember, if it's a housing-related qualified disability expense, you got to spend it in the month you take it out. Uh -huh. But, you know, 
when you sign up for an able account uh, you should get an explanation of all of this from whenever whichever program you choose and we'll talk more about that in a minute. of course we will and I want to let the folks know who are watching this is a live program if you'd like to call in and ask a question of attorney Landry you could call in at 617-708-3290 um, so who's eligible to establish an ABLE account? Well, it is somewhat limited. Not everyone with a disability is going to be eligible right now to, um, to establish an ABLE account. Uh, when Congress passed the law that allows ABLE accounts, um, they limited it to people who acquire their disability prior to age 26. So later onset disabilities are, are not going to qualify for an ABLE account. So, you, you have to have acquired your disability prior to um, the 20, uh, being age 26, I'm sorry, and either be an SSI or an SSDI recipient or uh, have a licensed uh, physician certify that even though you are not an SSI or an SSI, SSDI recipient, you acquired your disability prior to age 26 and it causes you marked and severe functional limitations. And although an individual may not necessarily be an SSI or an SSDI recipient to qualify for an ABLE, um, the, the, the definition of disability or the standard for being able to meet a disability is similar to what it would be? Yes, it's similar to that for Social Security. And again, you know, you can get more information about this if you decide you want to shop for an ABLE account and, and, and sign up. But I want to, I want to say that, that if you do have to get the certification from your physician, you have to keep it on record and when you sign up for an ABLE account, you'll have to certify, you'll, you'll have to certify under pains of perjury penalties of perjury that, that you have that. And again, this is something the IRS will review from, from time to time. So it's something to be careful about. And um, jumping back a little bit, this is a relatively new law, 2014. Mm -hmm. Do we have any experience with anybody who's had any difficulty? Have we heard of that through not, the grapevine yet? I have not heard of any experience or any, any problems. And the reason for that is the first ABLE accounts in states, every state had to set up its own ABLE account. And the first state to do so was Ohio in June of 2016. Uh -huh. So it's really just getting rolling. How long has Massachusetts had it? Just a couple of months. Wow. So, so this is very timely. Well, people have had to set up their, states have had to set up their, their programs. And it, you know, you have to find an investor and, and all of that. So it took a while. So this might be redundant. and That's kind of normal. But um, why did Congress do this? Well, again, people who receive needs-based disability benefits like SSI and Medicaid have not been able to save and, you know, possibly save for future needs. Um, often people with significant disabilities have not been able to work enough to save, you know, to uh, have enough money to live on, especially as they get older. So the idea is an individual can set up their own ABLE account, of which they're the beneficiary, uh, someone else can set an ABLE account up for an individual who meets the disability standard uh, that the individual is the beneficiary for, but you can only have one ABLE account mm -hmm. per beneficiary. Anyone can contribute to it. The beneficiary can contribute to it, family, friends, anyone can contribute, but um, there is a limit on the total annual contribution from all sources. This year it's um, $14,000, and uh, that's tied to, to uh, a gift, 
gift tax rules. And there is a limit on the aggregate savings, too. It's different in every state. In Massachusetts, it's $400,000. It would take a while to get there at, you know, limit of uh, 14000 uh, per year. But SSI recipients can only have $100,000 in their ABLE account and still be eligible for SSI. But without the ABLE account, a person on SSI could not have $100,000. Absolutely not. They would be over? They would be over assets because the asset limit is only $2,000. And then they would have an overpayment. That's right. So this is, I'm sure it's beneficial for all sorts of folks, but it's, it's at least to my way of thinking, it's specifically helpful for persons on SSI to be able to save money. Sure. An SSDI recipient, Social Security Disability Insurance, uh, doesn't have to um, worry about assets um, for SSDI anyway. SSDI is not a needs-based benefit. It's the program you earn through, through working. Um, there are some asset limits for some types of Medicaid, which we won't go into today, but um, but the, uh, the, um, the ABLE account doesn't count for that either. So if an SSI recipient goes over $100,000, what happens? Well, what happens is if, if the, let's say an SSI recipient has been on the ABLE, ABLE program for a while and they've, they've accrued $1,000, uh, $100,000. Anything I over $100,000. $105,000. Right. I couldn't get the words out. Um, they're, they're $5,000 over, so um, they will be SSI payment ineligible for the period they are over. They will not lose their Medicaid that comes automatically with mm -hmm. their SSI, so that's one thing. They can spend down the excess money, but they will be SSI payment ineligible for as long as they have more than $100,000. They haven't lost entitlement. Um, which means that once they prove that they've spent it down on a qualified disability expense and verified that to Social Security, they can get back on SSI without having to reapply. And do we have any understanding of how Social Security would become aware that a person had over $100,000 in their account? Well, to be eligible for SSI, you have to give uh, Social Security permission to look at your, your, oh, your all of your accounts. <laughs> so it's fairly automatic. <laughs> you and it. you're also, when you have an SSI, uh, you're supposed to report anything to Social Security that might affect your benefit eligibility. So they will find out. And frankly, the sooner they find out, the better, because for the time that you were over $100,000, you were payment ineligible and overpaid. So it's, people need to keep good records when, if they're going to uh, And sometimes it takes this. a little while for Social Security to realize they could be paying and you could accrue a larger overpayment. That's right. So if people want to uh, participate in ABLE accounts, which could be a great thing, as we've discussed for folks, uh, they really do need to be able to keep good records and be aware of what they have to report and, and all the other rules. So I have a kind of a practical, I think it's a practical question. You said anybody can contribute to the account. Can anybody set up the ABLE account or only the beneficiary? Um, no, other people can set up an account. I'm not entirely sure of all the rules, but certainly if somebody has a guardian, the guardian could set it up or a power of attorney. Um, I'm not sure of all those rules, but again, uh, talking to the uh, folks who run the account you're interested in uh, would tell you all of that. So they would need to have some sort of authority to set it up. It wouldn't just I'm, be... I'm not really sure. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and that's something that folks can check out. And we're going to be posting 
uh, information regarding websites and organizations right. that you can contact to get more information than the very knowledgeable Linda Landry is sharing <laughs> with us. Um, so if somebody puts money in, their, in your account, your account, I'm your, I'm your Uncle Louie, I'm your Uncle Walter, I say I'm going to put $500 in Linda's account, and I go, oh, that was a bad idea. Can they get that money back once you know, it's in the account? You know, good question. I don't know the answer to that question. I suspect not. Yep. Um, and if an individual uh, contributes to another person's ABLE account, can, they, can the individuals contributing the money deduct that from their taxes? No, there is no federal tax deduction for ABLE accounts. Some states do have a state tax deduction for ABLE accounts, but Massachusetts does not at this point. So no tax deduction, state or federal, uh, in Massachusetts for contributing to somebody's ABLE account. So we're moving through this fairly well, and we're going to jump ahead. We'll go back if we have to, to talk about the Massachusetts Great. ABLE plan. The Massachusetts ABLE account plan is called Attainable. Um, it's offered by MIFA, which also offers college tax-advantaged college savings plans, and the investments are going to be managed by Fidelity. Um, they have a website, which you'll, you'll see in a few minutes. Um, it's the Massachusetts plan is fairly similar, but Every state has some differences in terms of uh, fees, any minimum balance rules, transferring an ABLE account from one state to another or even one person to another. There's a lot of complicated rules about this. Uh, and so it's really important to um, get all that information when you, uh, before you sign up. Uh, make sure you understand uh, everything that's involved. Now, it's also possible to use ABLE accounts in any state that allows non-residents to participate in their ABLE account program. As I said before, there's about 23 states that have established ABLE, accounts pro ABLE account programs so far. Many of them allow non-residents to participate. Um, and we'll show you a website before we end today um, that allows you to compare and contrast the programs in every state and, and get all the details out of there that are important. And so let me nail this down a little bit because this sounds intriguing to me. So if I'm a resident of Massachusetts, I may look at other states who accept out-of-state uh, individuals to set up an ABLE account in their state and one may be more favorable than another and I can... Depending on your individual needs and circumstances and the tax issues and you know the fees and minimum balance rules you know whatever is important to you uh, you should compare and contrast. But you certainly couldn't subvert the only one ABLE account by having one no. in several states. No you cannot. You can only have <laughs> one ABLE account. Only one ABLE account per beneficiary. Well, we're, we're well under the five-minute mark. I think we've got a couple of minutes left, and I don't think I'm going to go backwards to talk about trust, et cetera. But I think it's important. Um, what else do the folks out there need to know uh, about ABLE accounts? We have about three minutes. Well, I mean, I, I think there are other options. Um, you know, in before ABLE accounts, people who wanted to who had needs-based benefits who wanted to save money for for future needs or if you had family who wanted to give 
give put money away for someone for future needs you know your your option was uh, was a trust and it's that's a pretty pretty restrictive way to save money um, Obviously, if you've got a lot of money that you want to give away to someone in one lump sum, the uh, ABLE account isn't going to work for you, maybe a trust. But there's only a couple of kinds of trusts that work for needs-based benefits, meaning SSI and Medicaid. And it's really restrictive. You have to give up all right to a trustee to, um, uh, to decide how the money's going to be used. And you have to go through someone else to get your money. So, so the ABLE account is a lot more flexible for the right person, the person who qualifies. Uh, you can't put that much money in every year, uh, but you can decide how to use it yourself within the parameters of the qualified disability expenses. You could just go get the money and spend it on a qualified disability expense and you know, be able to document that that's what you did. And, uh, and that's the end of it. So it, I think it's a really uh, flexible, program that allows people more independence and, and again, this ability to save money, albeit somewhat slowly. And before we pop up the referrals on the screen, uh, sort of to sum up, we have about a little well, two-minute mark here, and uh, I'm quite the timekeeper in case you didn't notice, is that um, the flexibility the ability to access funds yourself is really, really positive. So that allows for autonomy of the individual, the ability for people on SSI to save money where they otherwise couldn't, yet they're not putting it in a trust where it's locked away and they have to jump through hoops to get it. Right. So um, with that in mind, I would like if the producers could put up the screens about the resources that would like to refer. There we go. Um, go ahead. Um, I mean, I think um, the, I'm not sure which one we're going to show. Well, we've got the ABLE National Resource Center. Okay, the ABLE National Resource Center is a good resource to keep up with ABLE, uh, ABLE account program implementation nationally. You can, there's compare and contrast states that have accounts and, and what the issues are and things you need to think about. They have a lot of help figuring out what questions you ought to be asking when you're considering uh, an ABLE account. And for purposes of time, do we have the, uh, the, Massachusetts? the post ups for the Massachusetts ABLE account? If not, we can just read it. There we go. Yeah, the Massachusetts ABLE account, as I said, is attainable. We've got uh, two websites here. One is MIFA.org, and the other one is Fidelity.com. Fidelity is the investment manager. You'd, you'd want to look at both, and they do have uh, telephone numbers on there. And the last one? And then the, uh, the last one is the, if we're going to see it, is the SSI ABLE account policy. This list, there's a site, the... the the link on the website, is, uh, on the bottom of the page, is to Social Security's website and the uh, SSI rules that I've been talking about. You know, it's not as easy as it looks, folks. Linda, <laughs> you've done a great job. And this is, you know, this is brand new information. So uh, we strongly recommend that you do your homework, that you contact these sites. Um, to the extent it's feasible, you can contact the Disability Law Center. We'll do our best to try to provide you with assistance if necessary. Uh, folks should know that this program will be rebroadcast uh, on this station, but it will also be put up on the Disability Law Center's website. There'll be a YouTube video of it, Vimeo, Facebook, you name it, it'll be out there. Linda, thank you so very much for being my guest. You were terrific as always. Thank you very much. And to the folks watching, please be safe.